Hello and welcome to Carnell Knowledge, the very first in what I hope will be a regular podcast where I, and hopefully also some guests, will take a look at some topical problems in the world of economics. I'm Rob Carnell and I'm an economist. Okay, this first episode is called For Whom the Bell Tolls and it asks a question that has been posed many times in numerous countries during the lockdowns that have plagued most of our lives during this pandemic. It's related to the question of whether the cure should be worse than the pandemic, a point that US President Trump has occasionally, albeit rather erratically, made. I think it might be better to describe it as, how do politicians decide how many of us are going to die? Controversial enough for you? Well, if so, let's plough on and ask, was it right that we were all subjected to months of lockdown? Well, helping the politicians to decide these sorts of things Governments will have all sorts of advisors telling them to do this or that, and some of them will be economists. So how would they have approached this problem? To answer this, let's start by considering some stylistic choices that the policymaker faces and what the economist would advise in these conditions. Suppose we have two plans. In plan one, the outcome of its implementation would be 100,000 deaths. In plan two, the outcome would be 50,000 deaths. Which plan would you choose? The answer may seem very obvious, as one of the plans will result in the loss of 50,000 more lives than the other. Potentially, remember politicians are involved, 50,000 voter deaths. Let's not get too bogged down in whether they were likely to have voted for your party or not. That just makes it even more complicated. Now, the economic advisor will want to know some other details, such as what are the characteristics of the disease? Does it, like the 1918-19 flu epidemic, carry off mainly the fit and young? Or does it, as appears to be the case with COVID-19, mainly affect older individuals and those with underlying health issues? Why? Well, although to some people, especially those of a religious persuasion, all life is equally precious and equally worth protecting, economics is about getting the most benefit out of scarce resources, and that includes healthcare. It would be nice to live in a country where no matter the background, Doctors and nurses would expend all the energy and expense of trying to save every single patient in this pandemic. But clearly, as the overstressed healthcare departments and lack of personal protective equipment have often shown us, difficult choices have had to be made. Let's look at this another way and bring in a technique that I use quite a lot, which is a sort of dumbed-down version of the reductio ad absurdum proof, a tool which owes its origins to the ancient Greek mathematician Euclid, the father of geometry and early developer of number theory, so it comes with a good pedigree. The basic approach is to take a proposition and then test it to see if it holds for all values by asking if it still holds at the most ridiculous extreme that you can imagine. We're going to use it to test our null hypothesis that all life is equal and deserves equal healthcare attention in the case of illness, against the alternative hypothesis which simply says that the null doesn't hold, or put another way, that society values some lives more than others. If you're leaning towards the all life is equal hypothesis, let me set up the reductio ad absurdum. Here you have two individuals. One is a previously healthy child prodigy aged eight years old. The other, a 90 year old convicted murderer who is already terminal ill with another disease and not expected to live out the week anyway. With the resources at your disposal, you can give 100% chance of saving the life of one of these individuals, or by shifting resources from one to the other, give them both a 50-50 chance of survival, or somewhere in between. 
Many of us would not have much of an issue in this extreme scenario of, of at least skewing the resources in favour of the young child. Some might even favour hurrying the old murderer along to his grave a little quicker. But from these extremes, you can back away to more nuanced differences. The old person doesn't have to be a convicted murderer, and the age difference need not be so extreme. 80 years versus 20 years, 70 versus 30, and so on, as far as you can go. In the end, you get to a concept that is used extensively in health economics, and that is the quailie. No, it's not an exotic South American bird, but a quality-adjusted life year. What this concept does is abstract from the individuals and say, in the end, we want to choose the policies that will result in the saving of the most years of life adjusted for the quality of that life. That is, we aren't bothered about life itself as much as the state of that life. Maintaining people on life support in a vegetative state for decades doesn't score too many points under such an approach. Consequently, if COVID-19 affected the old and young equally, then yes, you might choose a policy that was skewed to protecting those under a certain age, as they would stand to lose the most. And this would be the most beneficial use of the scarce resources at your disposal. But COVID-19 doesn't do this. Instead, it is disproportionately harmful, often deadly, to the elderly and to those who may already be sick for other reasons. And that suggests a couple of things. One, it may make the most sense to try to protect those members of society most at risk, even if individually their quaily count is quite low, as collectively the payoff will be greater than letting them die and expending all your efforts protecting the younger, less vulnerable population. And it also suggests that any policy you choose should not have a cost that is particularly high relative to the saving. Now, this is the point that may have some of you saying, well, in that case, why do we just have a total lockdown and not just isolate the elderly until the problem had passed? And indeed, there is more than a grain of sense in that view. The problem has been, it's just not so clean cut. Young and fit people are also being killed by COVID-19, just not in the same proportions as the elderly and already sick. And in the end, there simply isn't enough medical capacity to treat all the victims of this, of this disease if it were allowed to spread unchecked, whatever their age. And this is where the concept of flattening the curve has come in. Let's try another reductio ad absurdum here, but one which ultimately may not be too far from the truth. Let's say ultimately we all catch COVID-19, which may well happen without a vaccine. Some of us will get sick, some of us won't. More of the elderly will get sick, but if we control the rate at which they succumb through social distancing, the health service ought to be able to cope and healthcare won't have to be rationed in such an extreme way as in our earlier example, young or old, otherwise healthy or not. The nuance of this is, of course, that while it does support the argument for a slowing of the transmission rate through a general and perhaps prolonged lockdown, it could also argue for a more finessed lockdown, mainly for the elderly and at risk, but with fewer restrictions on the young and healthy. And this is basically where we find ourselves today as many economies around the world undertake a phased relaxation of their social distancing in favour of allowing the economies to recover but still taking care to protect the most vulnerable. Many have got their daily new case numbers to fall steadily or at least to stabilise to a relatively low level where their health services are coping with some room to spare should new cases start to spike up again and enough leeway to reimpose re restrictions in time if new cases begin to shoot higher. Arguably, this still suggests that we need not have all suffered prolonged lockdowns if a more finessed policy had been implemented more quickly. But what is done is done. It's what's next that is important now. 
Also, such thinking does not support the relaxation of restriction on movement where daily case numbers are relatively high and rising, as is the case in many US states, the Philippines, Indonesia or India, before they restarted their lockdowns. And as we found with this disease, it doesn't take long for manageable rising numbers of new cases to turn to unmanageable and exponentially rising cases. And although lockdowns work, they work with a lag and cause horrific damage to the economy. So if you are going to have to, to lock down, you need to know that you're only going to have to do it once and that you'll make sure it has worked before you relax it. As doing it twice doesn't make you many friends. So that's my summary of the sort of thinking that has underpinned many of the decisions that have messed up our lives in recent months by locking us away in the relative safety of our own homes. That is, unless you were really smart, like in South Korea or Taiwan, where successful but massive test, trace and isolate programmes made it possible to avoid mandatory lockdowns. Disappointingly, this outcome was available to almost any relatively well-managed economy. Certainly, no developed economy was ruled out from having this as an alternative. Where it all went wrong seems to be an early attempt to try to trade off economic growth for some lives lost, before realising that this would result in health services becoming swamped. But I think that will make the subject for another podcast, so I'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you want to leave a message, you can do so by going to the anchor.fm forward slash Robert Carnell and uh, leave me a message. And if you didn't absolutely hate it, then please recommend it to a friend or, or a colleague. See you next time when I think I'm going to be asking, are we headed back into the 1970s? No, not flares and Ford Capris, though that does sound like a particularly good episode of The Professionals. But in fact, are we headed back into a world of stagflation? Until then, bye. <laughs>